Thank you all and welcome so much to the Writer's Block. Um, I have a really special episode today, but before I introduce my guests, uh, let me thank Low Tide Cava Bar for the cava that I drink on this and every episode of the Writer's Block, as well as Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this show. And uh, Don and Sally, once again, thank you for giving birth to me because that was a gift to the world. Um, <laughs> I'm actually very uh, happy to bring on these two guests uh, First, I'd, I'm certain many of you who have been watching the Muddied Waters of Freedom from the beginning knows Greg Bowen. He is the voice of the Muddied Waters, which is just going to get so much funnier later. Um, <laughs> and his brother, Chris. Uh, the Bowen brothers have joined me in studio today for the, muddy, for the writer's block at Muddied Waters Media. Guys, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I am uh, very excited to, and somewhat terrified to have this conversation today. Um, so probably not a lot of people know this, but Greg was one of the first libertarians in Florida that I met and actually helped guide me in my libertarianism, which is so much more terrifying now. Um, and... <laughs> I don't even know how to do this introduction. <laughs> um, but uh, when I first joined the LPPC, the Libertarian Party of Pinellas County, you were the chair or the vice chair at the time? I'm not sure. I think I was vice chair at the time. Okay. Who was the chair at the time? Was that Karina? It was before Karina. Okay, it was before Karina. Then it, 
it might have been me. No, I was chair. Okay, you were. Yeah, because, yeah, I was chair. Right. And then you became vice chair, and that's when I became secretary. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so you were the chair of the Libertarian Party, and you were the most libertarian person I had ever met. Like, you were the litmus test for is somebody a libertarian in my mind. And, well, we'll get into that later, but that's changed. <laughs> yeah. That, that has definitely changed as of late. And, Chris, you are still in the party. I am. You are? I'm you actually are. the treasurer of Marion County in Indianapolis. Um, Indiana probably has some of the most active and um, well, I guess, you know, high membership numbers for, like, any party, you know, across the state and uh, across the country as well. So uh, I feel very fortunate because some of the giants of, of the party are leaders in our local party there in Indiana. You know, we've had a lot of people that are on the national committee as leadership in our county parties and state parties. So I feel very fortunate that I got the messages from the right people, not only from my brother when I was still in the Republican Party and just conversations. I wouldn't call them debates, but, you know, as somebody who served in the military and who grew up thinking I was a Republican, my brother and my dad would always do a very good job of, like, asking probing questions and doing it in such a way that I didn't feel judged to where it kind of brought me along to libertarianism in a step-by-step manner and not like a taking the bite all at once. Right. And I think that's how a lot of people kind of find libertarianism because that's how I kind of found it too because I was, I was raised, as I've told all of my listeners numerous times, in a very conservative household. Um, my older sister took that and ran. My younger sister went the complete opposite way <laughs> in pretty much every single way. And I was like, well, wait. Like, I'm all about, like, small government and freedom, but why are we now using the government to infringe on these other freedoms? Like, that doesn't seem right, even a little bit. And then I started looking more into it, and I was like, why are we creating wars where we don't need to be creating wars, and why are we trying to nation-build? Yeah. Right. Be, a, be in the Army and try to come up with the, that question and see how well it goes over with your right. <laughs> Because uh, even though I was honorably discharged, I really feel like I was not military material and that's what it really came down to and it's i mean it's public record and i and believe me i i'm patriotic i support our troops i wish they weren't deployed in all the places that they are currently in and then fighting wars that have nothing to do with our principles uh, but at the same time you know having seen from the inside the just the wastefulness and the lack of logic that are in decisions and I mean, if you really came down to it, I was a I was a whistleblower. I I spoke up when somebody was passed over for promotion uh, for racial reasons, and I told the truth. And uh, ultimately, the mistake that was made administratively for this soldier to get the promotion he should have gotten was was pinned on me. And so it was an honorable discharge the day that I left. But I really feel like it it was uh, the excuse that they used because I was very vocal about the fact that people that serve in the military are supporting the right to be able to, you know, have free speech or, you know, the right to uh, Second Amendment. A lot of people don't realize that as a soldier living on base, I couldn't own a firearm that wasn't issued by the government, and I couldn't just go and ask them to give me the weapon that was assigned to me. So even though I was I was saying that I wanted to protect these rights, I couldn't enjoy those rights. Right. And I would speak up a lot about it, and I think that they kind of used 
something else to kind of usher me out of the military. And so for a long time, I kind of lingered, uh, lost. I, I didn't feel I had a political home. And my dad, you know, being half American Indian and my brother, uh, you know, being a libertarian probably his whole life and not knowing what that label was, uh, the two of these guys would, would ask me questions just about anything, you know, current events or anything. And it would really foster great discussions. And it was those discussions, kind of if you want to say how the president, uh, what FDR around the, the fireside chats or whatever on the radio, it was those discussions that really brought me along because if they would have expected me to just change my whole philosophy and outlook all of a sudden, just in one fell swoop, it wouldn't have happened. And so I'm glad that there was somebody that was patient. And I think that's a dichotomy that's going on in the Libertarian Party today is that people aren't really as patient with people that we want to bring along with that message. Right. And, I mean, the Libertarian, like, the Libertarian Party, neither Greg or I are in the Libertarian Party anymore. No. Um, I, le- I left last year? I think I left last year. I left in 2017. I had made promises that there were things that I would complete and things that I would do. So I, I saw out my obligations and right. the things that I'd promised to do. And then once I had fulfilled my obligations and I'd stopped making promises and saying yes to people, then once all those were fulfilled, then I left the party. Yeah, after, after the 2016 convention in Orlando, I would, I'd slowly... I didn't leave the party, but I left being an active in the party, I right. guess would be the best way to put that. And then uh, in a show of uh, solidarity with some other people here in Florida, I left the party uh, with Christina Yeah, when uh, she was having some issues with some members of the LPF. And yeah. I decided that I didn't want to be a part of that. I'm not going to be party to the people who were doing the things that they were doing at the time. And if I had, if I had known that that was going to happen, because that was only like a couple months after I had already done everything and left and like was out. And right. if I had known, I'd have waited to like be with you guys and leave and show a solidarity. <laughs> right. Like I'd been, like I'd been thinking about it. And then she, I think it was in like one of the group chats we were in at the time. She messaged saying that she was going to leave the libertarian party and say it, show it on Facebook. And so I like actually had my, re- my voter registration in front of me. And I was like, no party affiliate. <laughs> I was like, I'll change it right now. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I can't vote in the primary anyway. So, and if I want to vote for the libertarian when it comes time, I can still do it. It just. And guess what? All the people who have told me that I'm not a libertarian, you win. I am not a libertarian anymore. <laughs> well, what really gets me is that, you know, you're expected to vote libertarian across the board, but at the same time, like the part of libertarianism that appealed to me as somebody from another party, and when it comes right down to it, the party wants to grow. We want to get people that are in the other parties that are truly libertarian and don't know it yet to come to our side. And how I was able to come to our side was because I felt like I didn't have to agree on everything. That wasn't that wasn't a requirement. I could be an American who believed in freedom and who believed that the equalizer was being the individual and that as long as I wasn't treading on anyone else's rights, that I would be accepted. And it wasn't long before, like, I would really have some of the stout, the, the, the staunch, uh, if you will, like the anarchist, no government uh, libertarians, that are the old guard, as we call them up there, or the big L's, as I've heard it called, uh, really call into question my 
passion for for this movement or for this philosophy because i really think the philosophy is bigger than any party like if the lp dissolved uh, from our state tomorrow would people quit loving liberty would people quit loving freedom would people quit finding ways to hold people in government accountable uh, to what they said that they were going to do and what they're supposed to do versus the results that they're getting and that is really frustrating to me that that more and more if especially if you watch social media we devolved into this, you know, purity argument over who's a real libertarian and who isn't. Because the thing is, is we're we're trying to show more and more people that aren't in our party that they truly are libertarian. So why do we want to argue with people who have already considered themselves libertarian? And I'll freely admit that I'm only probably eighty percent libertarian. If you you basically take what I believe and line it up with what the official party platform is. But wouldn't you rather have a friend and an advocate and somebody who will be in the trenches with you 80% of the time than not at all? And I think that if you were really to look across the board, some of the people that are the most involved, some of the people that will show up and door knock with you or work in 100 degree heat uh, sitting under a tent and uh, advocating uh, either for a particular candidate or, or for a particular cause, more and more of those people are being pushed away uh, because they are like the, what do you say, that that voice of, hey, the, like holding the line of going too far to the extreme. Because that's what we see going on in the other parties. And we're supposed to be a place of refuge where people don't have to feel politically homeless. Because if you really believe in the Constitution, and you really believe in limited government, and you also really believe in looking out for your fellow citizen, like we were intended to from the very founding of our government, then lib the Libertarian Party really is the place for you where you're going to find that most of the party platform aligns with who you are. If we're going to bicker and argue about the 20% the that you don't, then why even leave the party that they're in? That's what, they, that's what they're getting now. Well, they, they want to bicker about the platform. They want, they, they, they want to be anarchists who have then shoved their head up the behind of the, found, of the governing documents of the party and how how are you going to tell me that we need to get rid of our social hierarchy throughout our nation, yet you want to adhere to the social hierarchy of the party and act like these rules are what the most important thing in the world, yet the laws of the land, you know, we got to scrap all those. We can't have any of that. You got to get rid of all the government. Get rid of all the government, but keep all the rules inside the party? Exactly. Right. Because well, it's I mean, all you got to do is watch a libertarian national convention to realize that these people need no business governing anything. <laughs> like the last, I don't, I don't know why they were upset that C-SPAN didn't cover this last one because, like, this is not I, a good commercial for you guys. No, the right. last thing you want is for the rest of the country the, to be looking at you governing yourselves. The 2016 was not a great commercial for the libertarian no party. They, they actually ought to be happy that it didn't get more press than it did. Yeah. Because Wait. we really right now is the most opportune time for the message of liberty to reach the the rest of the people, both in the the Democrat and the Republican parties that don't lean to the extremes where their parties are moving. There are people that don't want to move that direction. But if we don't talk to them about real reasons why they should, people don't like change. They don't sign up for change. They don't volunteer to go through it. it a lot of times they have to be dragged, kicking and screaming where the rest of the organization or social structure or whatever they're part of is going but right now we have an opportune time to be able to take disenfranchised people from how far to extreme left and how far to extreme right their parties are moving and tell them that they have a place here with us 
And I, so that was actually part of the problem that I saw with what the Libertarian Party was doing is because you had all this disenfranchised people from the right like that eventually got labeled the alt-right that were coming over to the Libertarian Party and trying to take over. And as a show of to try to stop that from happening, they opened it up to the to people from the left and they started bringing in all of these who they now refer to themselves as the libertarian socialists. And all of them started coming in trying to take over the party to the point that the people on the alt-right were like, we don't want to be, we don't want to be here with a bunch of socialists. So they all left, which I'm glad they all left, but now the libertarian party is fighting socialists constantly. And they actually just made a, they just, uh, I don't even know if it passed, but they made a, um, they tried to make a rule change that anybody saying that they supported socialism couldn't be part of the Libertarian Party. And But how many of our institutions in this country are already socialist? I served in the Army, and it's like you have one place that you go to for your medical care. You have you know, one source of you know, income. Uh, you can't you know, moonlight and join another military when you're part of that military. So it's like it's very, you know, you have to listen to the person that's in charge. So Right. I mean, you really have no individual rights being in the military. That's true. But again, you did choose to join the military. True. So you did by voluntary. True. But when you're, when you're 18 or 19 years old and you're swearing to defend the Constitution, which you've already learned about in school, uh, but, and they tell you. That well, depends on when you went to school. Well, and where, <laughs> I guess, so, yeah, exactly. But, you know, you know I, I don't know. I was patriotic at a very young age. Maybe it's just because I growing up in the 70s and 80s and. I kind of I felt like I was a piece of Americana. I was a, a paper boy from the time I was eleven until the day I left for the army, and I kind of felt like it was important. People were waiting on the news for me to get it there, so I kind of took my job seriously. I mean, ended up winning awards for being like the paper carrier of the year and stuff like that. And it's like, and I'm proud of those things because I felt like I was, you know, getting people their started their day to make sure that they were informed, and uh, it kind of made me a news junkie. But it wasn't until I was a little bit older, when I was reading the paper for myself, that I started to see, wow, there really is a slant to this stuff. So I started questioning that. I started questioning everything. I started questioning what my teachers were telling me, questioning what my parents were telling me. And, you know, freedom in this country is supposed to be, is supposed to allow you to do those things. You have to do those things in a constructive manner if you really want growth from the answers that you'll receive when you ask those questions. A lot of times dialogue is is shut down. And, yeah, we don't have a shared um, if, if you didn't get the training and you didn't get exposed to certain lessons, then yeah, freedom is going to seem like an abstract idea to you. And if you've always, if you've been somebody like, let's say you grew up, we were talking about this earlier, if you grew up with welfare, how is a libertarian going to go door knocking in a neighborhood that historically three and four generations now have been dependent on government programs to be able to eat and they live hand to mouth and they don't see a way out of the situation. And, and yeah, we, as people who, I mean, I was a homeless veteran for a while. I didn't want to move back in with my parents when I got out of the army. And so I tried it on my own for a while and kind of failed and lost the apartment that I had. And so I was kind of out on the streets there for a little bit. Was I truly homeless? Like these people that live there for years and years? No, but I've seen how hard it is to kind of make it on your own. And fortunately, because I'm a veteran and there's people out there and organizations out there that want to help, I had somebody help me, you know, so I kind of learned that it does take a village, even though as much as I, as somebody went into the army based on the fact that I wanted to be a strong man who stood on my own who learned how to make good decisions, I still realized that at some point we need somebody else because we're going to be down on our luck and we're just going to need a little bit of assistance. And so how do you, 
tell people in the Libertarian Party who want it to be everybody on the stand on their own and no government help, it's a hard sell to people that are either on the right who want government to be out there forcefully advancing our freedoms overseas. They need government to do that for them. They're not going to be the ones to sign up and go overseas and right. put a gun in somebody's face and say America. But then you also have people on the left who historically have, if they've not been able to make it on their own and they don't see a way out and they are dependent on government, how is a libertarian going to get either of those camps to sign on to our philosophy when we say day one we want to abolish all government? It's just not realistic and we're not going to win those people over. No, you're not going to win those people over, which I, I do know a lot of libertarians that are going to be going out there and they, you know, they're all for anarchy and they don't believe in any government whatsoever. And they're complete anarchists. But even they will, the, the, the intelligent ones, will admit that even you're not going to be able to just cut government off from the beginning. You can't have an Adam Kokesh out there saying, I'm just going to disband everything and there's not going to be any government. There, there would have to be a gradual take back on every single aspect. Well, and there's, there are aspects that aren't going away. And there are aspects that we are sitting here in the comfort of this country under conditions that are created by strong institutions of government. And we are able to sit here and do this podcast without having some sort of government agency kicking down the door because we are criticizing the government and, and taking us out. Right. And we are, we are able to sit here without having to worry about a, a, the local warlord coming through and attacking us and, and taking whatever they want from us. And you can't be free if you are living under the threat of oppression from a local warlord or, or, or just living in a state of war. If you are living in a country where it is at war, whether a civil war or a war with their neighboring countries, you are not free. You are living under conditions that you have to deal with regardless. You're not free to just have a farm and, and live your life happily because you don't know when the invading army is going to come storming through and you don't know when a bomb is going to be dropped on you. So you're not free if you're living in that kind of situation. You, you are a slave to those circumstances. Right. And you have to have strong government institutions that are protecting people's rights and acting in a way where those rights are being protected and keeping our borders secure and, keep, and keeping our borders secure from hostiles, not necessarily in an immigration sense or preventing refugees or any of that, but to protect us in, in our national defense and keep people from invading, and, and to also have strong uh, diplomatic policies and diplomatic relations with these other countries so we're not going to war with each other. So we're not shooting each other over trade policies or uh, deficits in, in trade deals or land that we think we should have possession of or whatever. So we have to have strong government institutions that are providing this kind of foundation for our society for us to even be free. So if you want to come and just get rid of government wholesale, well, you're just going to make things worse and you're going to revert us back to where we were thousands of years ago. We don't need that. Right. You need to be able to acknowledge that the spontaneous order that you allude to that is supposed to occur after you destroy government is what we're living under. We, have, we are spontaneously creating order all the time, and we actually happen to be very lucky to be living in a, a country where our government was designed to be flexible and be changed if necessary. 
so we can amend our Constitution, so we can add and remove laws as necessary. We have that kind of flexibility that other nations don't, and that has allowed us to prosper over the years and make sure we have these strong institutions to protect us. The reason people are coming to libertarianism is because it's grown too big. It, it, it has too many positive feedback loops feeding the system, and it's going out of control. And so people are readily seeing that government, it, its reach exceeds its grasp. And there's too many government programs. There, there are too many criminal laws. Things like the drug war. More and more people are seeing this is way too much. We are criminalizing too many people. We are putting too many people in prison. We are creating a relationship between the police and the citizens that is adversarial and hostile. And that is where a lot of these problems come from. Right. And when you see those things, and the libertarians are the only ones who are talking about that, you're going to be drawn to the libertarians. I mean, so you do have, you do have other parties talking about it where you see... Like with the police, you see the the adversarial uh, relationship that citizens have with the police. You have the left talking about that, and they're like, "Look, the police are bad," but then they call for more government, which the police is more government. And then you have the right, and they see bureaucratic problems, and they're like, "See what the you know this is a problem. We need something to make sure that this doesn't happen." And then they call for more government. The libertarians are the only ones on either side who are requesting less government so we don't have these problems yeah the, the drug war is a war on the american people and the police are the soldiers in the front lines of that and so that's that's what we're getting on our streets that's why that's why people who are having their having the police state pushed down upon their neighborhood are reacting violently to the police and it, it's natural you can't you that's can't deny them for that i mean especially when you have police brutality occurring when you have them coming in and doing things to these people, they're going to build that resentment. But if you take away that drug war and you take away that reason for the cops to be patrolling these neighborhoods and for them to be searching everybody that they come across, and we, put, we, we take a, a lot of these criminal laws away, and we put them in the position where they are protecting our rights where they are protecting us from rapists and murderers and thieves and all the things that we all agree are bad, right. that we need go, them for. Because now they go after the low-hanging fruit. I mean, it's easy to go after the pot smoker because he's docile and really not looking to fight anybody. Right. So, I mean, it's really easy to go after those people. It's actually hard to find a, uh, a predator that lives amongst you that has learned over you know decades how to get away with their crimes. I mean... When you have 300 priests in the, just the state of Pennsylvania alone having gotten away with this stuff for 50 or 60 years. Since the 40s, I think. Right. So yeah. it, there, is a, uh, there is obviously uh, an element in place that allows for that stuff to happen in the dark. And then the libertarians have been the only ones really talking about these things for decades before they came to light. And now that they're starting to come to light, I really feel like we're, we're not taking advantage as, as libertarians officially, like as a libertarian party, we're not taking advantage of a community that would really be very receptive to what it is that we've been saying all along because they've been living this. And I feel like if we made more inroads to the, the minority communities and the inner city communities and really showed, instead of just tell, like show what libertarianism is all about. So instead of 
you know, showing up to a bar and uh, having drinks together as libertarians and preaching to the choir. Why are we not finding some community centers that are doing some events for back to school? I mean, this is September, well, so we got a lot of back to school stuff. So why not, as a libertarian party, open a booth, hand out stuff that kids are going to need for uh, for school, and say, "Hey, we're the libertarian parties. We believe that we should be able, as a community, to help each other, and we're just here to be part of the solution." And leave it at that. Well, it's because libertarians are heavy on theory and light on practice, and they're only going to show up when it's time to socialize and drink. They're not going to show up to do any work. Well, and the ones the, that the, do, and they're pushing... The partitarians, yeah. as I call them. Yeah, the partitarians, the people who only show up for the fun events and never want to go out and do the door knocking and never want to go out and show up to, like, uh, the candidate forums or any of the quote-unquote boring stuff, which, to me, I, door knocking sucks. Like, I despise it with every ounce <laughs> of my... Met. It is how we it, met. Hence, I despise it. <laughs> um, but, it, I mean, in Florida, door knocking is terrible. It, it's 110 it degrees. It it's that. it's humid as all hell, and you're just, like, and you're just covered in sweat. And you're going around, and you have these people who answer the door, and they see you, and they go immediately, well, why isn't he a Republican? Because <laughs> he's not a Republican. <laughs> But now you know why I have such massive respect for the ones that do put in the work. Right. And why if you show up to walk the neighborhoods and knock on the doors, then you're going to have my respect. But when I only see you when there's a meeting at a bar and restaurant or where it's some kind of fun event where everybody's socializing and having a good time, yet when it comes time to work, you're nowhere to be found. Well, that this is our problem. This right. is, this is the problem with the party because you've got a lot of people who are a lot of talk and nobody who who's willing to walk the walk. And the reality of the libertarian ideology, because it's really not a philosophy; it's an ideology. It's part of what drives me away from it. Oh, is we're not we're not yeah, using a distinction for those of us who interject. We're not those terms. we're not using the terms honestly, and we use philosophy because it makes us sound smarter. And we don't want to own the fact that we're ideologues as well. But the, the, the problem with this ideology is if you're going to follow this to its conclusion, the last thing you should be doing is getting involved in a political party or in the government. Because if you want this, you government grows because people have problems and they're looking for solutions and they're looking for somebody to do it. And... They're going to find somebody to do it, and somebody will do it for them, and they will turn to the government to do that if necessary. And if you're not out... Do you need me to stop? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not out there providing these solutions, then they're going to look to somebody else. So if you, want, if you want the libertarian society and you want the government to stop stepping in to solve these problems, right. then you have to be the leadership solving these problems outside of government. And if you're sitting there telling people that they're not smart enough, they're not good enough because they don't get it, and they're just authoritarian psychopaths, and you just want to use force against peaceful people to get your way, well, fuck you, dude. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with you. If you don't want government solving people's problems, then get out there and solve somebody's problem. And I do agree that that is one of the biggest issues that the Libertarian Party has, is that they... Many of the people do that. They're keyboard warriors who sit there and they argue on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, whatever other social media site happens to be popular of the day. You know, MeWe, I think, was there for like a week. Um, <laughs> and they and, do a disservice because that's not what real libertarianism it is about. We don't, and, sit down, we don't sit around and, 
and argue offline like that. I, I've never really seen a libertarian meeting devolve into something like that. I mean, maybe it has here in, in Florida. I know you guys have really had your issues as of, as of the last <laughs> couple of years. I know you guys have really had <laughs> your issues. Let's yeah, put it mildly. That's, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's one way to put well, that. Well, yeah. you know, when you live in another state and you just hear things, and I'm, I'm not one for gossip either. I like to hear things from the source. But, you know, I, I just, I really hope that you guys are able to turn a corner down here because really you have a lot of, I, I think, human capital in Florida. You're the third or fourth populous, most populous state. So there's a lot of human capital down here. A lot of people that are retired that probably lived through the 60s and believe in libertarian principles that could show up at events. And I just really would love to see more people maybe wearing a, a liberty-inspired kind of shirt and show up in a group, you know, 10, 12 people on a day they're doing Habitat for Humanity or something like that and just show up and show libertarian values uh, it, it, to someone and make it personal and make it real for them. And, that, and then let them dig in more because they're going to want to know they're going to say who, who are these white people that just showed up in our neighborhood out of nowhere and just helped us and wasn't trying to sell us anything or, or you know just went on about their business then they're going to search after it and become thirsty for the knowledge that is out there and you're not going to have to argue your point someone's going to come after it but then they're going to meet libertarians and get driven away <laughs> 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 well, I'm sorry, you're such a yeah. misanthrope. Yeah, <laughs> I, know that, I know this. I've just you. met a lot of men libertarians. Oh, but <laughs> I mean, what, what he's saying is is correct. Like, we do need to have the libertarians need to have people that go out and actually do the stuff instead of fighting it on Facebook because you're not you don't win Facebook arguments. Mm -mm. Every Facebook argument that I've won. The person that I got into the argument with thinks they won as well. Mm -hmm. There's never been a time at the end of a Facebook argument where someone went, you know what, you're, I think you're right. No, it just it ends. It just stops. And well, it's, it's mainly because one of us gets tired and just stops responding. Yeah, and, and it just breaks relationships and it, it drives wedges between people that, that shouldn't need to exist. And... We're not our real selves online anyway. Our Facebook persona and our Twitter persona and all that, that's exactly what it is. It's not a persona. It's not even a half of a piece of a decimal of who we are. It's, well, it's, and it's, it's not it's a fair representation of it. It's the facade that you put out that you want people to see of yourselves. Exactly. Which is why when you have some people who put out the ones that are like, oh, I'm so depressed, I think I'd want to kill myself. Like, is that what you really want people to see of yourself? Because when I saw you during the day, you were happy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. which one is the real you? The one on Facebook or the one that you're showing? Well, that's and why and I they both may be. Well, that's why I don't believe reality TV really exists. Because the it minute that you turn on a camera, someone changes their behavior. Right. Or the minute that they know that they're on camera, they'll change their behavior. And so, um, you know, we were talking the other day. I'm not a big supporter of Trump. I'm glad that the economy is doing better. You know, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're, we're re- you know, evaluating some of the laws that we have that have dictated things over the last few decades. But, you know, he's, he's very crass. I just don't believe that he represents the best ideals that we are supposed to be about. He is kind of the president that America deserves. I mean, we're so focused on Hollywood and so focused on uh, entertainment and, uh, you know, the short term. He's the kind of president that we deserve. We, we've become 
uh, derelict in our duties to to watch the kind of people that we've been sending not only to local government but to state and federal government for so long we've put you know critical thinking in the area of politics on cruise control and so this is the kind of stuff that's going to creep in there egomaniacs and he's probably just the first of many that are going to come from hollywood or pulp culture they're going to try to run for for politics and i was i was having this conversation if it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before. But I think that anybody that runs for president has to be an egomaniac. You have to be to want that job. Every single one. You, no president in history has been like a really humble guy of, no, I don't think, you know, I'm not anybody special. You have to think you're special in order to get there. Trump is just the loudest about it. 100% just the loudest about it. I don't think there's any difference in his ego and Obama's ego and the Bushes. Definitely not Clinton's. Well, outside of mm-hmm. outside of Jefferson and in Washington, I would probably agree with you. I think Washington demonstrated that when he when he said when no, he stepped I, aside. Yeah, after when two he stepped terms. aside after two terms, and when he said he didn't want people to elect him as a king. Um, you know, uh, Jefferson d- definitely demonstrated those things in the Federalist Papers about how, what his philosophies <laughs> were. Demonstrated that as well. Polk, yeah, James K. Polk, James yeah. K. Yeah. You had to you had to refresh my memory, man. You're going well, way he, back. Well, he made a lot of campaign promises, and he lived up to all of them. And one of the campaign promises is that he'd get this done in one term and wouldn't run for re-election, and that was the case. You got to respect that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of people don't like what he did, and you can you can debate whether or not it was good. I mean, he doubled more than doubled the size of the United States. He's the one that got the Western territories and basically told Mexico, "This is ours now." <laughs> The, yeah. You want to fight over it? Because we will. Because we will. <laughs> they said, no thanks. He's like, thank you. Right. <laughs> this is ours now. Appreciate it. <laughs> so people out of basically, the West there. became the United States and not Mexico anymore because of him. And that was one of the things he said he'd do. And he was very bold and firm about it and was ready to go to war with Mexico to take it. Yeah. They were like, no, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> you know, have either, it's mostly desert. Had either parties had either parties seen it? It's not really something worth fighting over. Exactly. But oh well, that's Texas for you. Right. <laughs> You're wrong. I love Texas. I love their spirit, but man. Man, it, so I've been to different parts of Texas and parts of Texas I love and other parts of Texas I'm like, this just this is a hellhole. Like yeah. Houston. Um. <laughs> well, it's big enough that it's bound to be like that. Yeah. You know, when, you're, they, when it's something that big, there's got to be parts you like and parts you don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just statistically. Uh, you know, when I ran when I ran for office, um, of, you know, run for office six times, but I probably wasn't any more active in any of those races than I was in the uh, mayor's office race. But the very first time that I, I ran for office, when I first discovered the Libertarian Party, was for township trustee and because I kind of really felt like, man, I'm going to run and if you elect me, I'm going to dissolve this position because Marion County is is no longer rural like it used to be. There's nine township governments, so there's nine township you know commissioners or trustees, if you will, nine barristers. It's like all this duplication that we really could save a lot of money and because of you know busing or you know Uber and stuff like that. If people really need to go to a government center. It can be centralized and people can get there. Uh, I know other libertarians felt the exact opposite about that. That, Like if we're going to uh, streamline and abolish any kind of government, we need to do it at the top where it's the most top heavy and keep government closer to to towns. And for the most part, I would I would agree with that. I would would agree with that. But in places that are very, you know, concentrated, 
we don't need the duplications in, in services and the duplication in, in budgets. I mean, if I, I just scratch my head and wonder how many families were actually told no for assistance when they were, uh, you know, at the lowest point in their life economically. Uh, you know, a lot of times these trustees, they help people afford their diabetic medication when if they live on a fixed income, they can't afford to get this stuff or they can't afford to pay their utilities. And there is a, you know, a work requirement. I don't know how much of our trustees in, in Marion County require people to do that, but if they're able-bodied, there is, you know, a requirement that they give back, you know, for the assistance. And see, I don't really, as a libertarian, have a problem with a social safety net. You know, if someone's able-bodied, yes, they should do something to give back because it's just the economics of the situation. You keep taking something out of the pot and not putting something back in there, then eventually the pot runs dry for everyone. But... You know, for you know, for people that are milking the system, then yeah, that's why we have people that are employed in these in these institutions is to look out for things like that. I know I'm only an entry level accountant; I don't have my CPA yet, but I take it pretty seriously to do my job correctly. When I see mistakes or anomalies, I raise my hand, let my you know employer know, or you know the guy that I work for, let him know what I'm seeing. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I thought we were hiring those kind of people in government. Um, you know, there's a lot of fraud. It, especially in Marion County, it, especially like Center Township, a couple of the other townships have been caught embezzling money uh, from these institutions. And so would it be easier if all those budgets were under one umbrella that we could look at and make sure that there wasn't as much fraud? So there's got to be a lot of savings to, to streamline government. And I don't want to take it more away from the people. But at the same time, you know, I don't want something centralized far away to Washington, D.C. either. So I'd really like to see our state governments made stronger I don't think that can happen until we were talking earlier about the 17th Amendment. 17th Amendment broke all that. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, so I'm glad that we have a constitution that's a, a, it can be a living, breathing document and change with the times, uh, but use the, the processes that are in it to change it. And some people are scared because, like, what other things can be changed if we call it, you know, a constitutional convention of the states. Uh, but if we only do it very narrowly for a certain certain aspects of, of discussions and things that we want to update. Uh, I mean, we did it back and forth with, uh, with alcohol prohibition. Right. It, well, I think, I think what you said that that's the problem is as a libertarian, I believe in a social safety net. Well, the other libertarians are going to tell you you're not a libertarian. Right. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I got to where I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of having to debate these, debate my validity as part of the libertarian identity and debate that I even belong here because of trying to figure out policies and trying to solve problems and address what's going on in our world. And you guys would rather engage in this navel-gazing mental masturbation of who's more libertarian and, like, how much government can we get rid of and not fall into complete and absolute chaos and just restore ourselves in a feudal system. When you're it's masturbating, like, are you looking at your navel? Uh, libertarian seems <laughs> like... That's, that's the last place I like. <laughs> <laughs> the navel gazing is just like the consumed with themselves. And like the mental masturbation is just this running off these ideas that really don't matter because you're not even operating in a place where you can implement any of this anyway. And, and you're not discussing it in a realistic fashion and you're not being intellectually honest about what you're saying. 
because the libertarians want to put everything for all problems are caused by the government there isn't a, a problem that exists that we can't trace back to it being the government's fault and there's nothing that the government can do well there's no such thing as a good government it never does anything but create problems and does everything wrong and it wastes money and so we got to get rid of it all and you can't talk on any other terms about anything else and you can't talk honestly about the things government does do well and the reason we do have government and the reason that your anarcho-capitalism bullshit is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life and make the communists have more realistic understanding of human nature than anarcho-capitalists how do you have capitalism with anarchy who's going to say that you own that Who's going to be the authority that stands up with you and says, yeah, they own that land? Because that's what the Stone Age was. When we're all, this is my land. No, this is my land. We fight over it. Yes, ah, oh, no, no, it's my land. My club is bigger. That's what anarcho-capitalism is going to be. You're going to say that I own this land and I own this factory on this land, but I don't have any government authority that's backing me up on that. That means the guys with the most guns, when they show up and kill me, it's their land. It's their land. So anarcho, you can't have capitalism in anarchy. This, this mental masturbation. This, you guys, I mean, seriously, the Harry Potter books have more validity to them than anarcho-capitalism. There's no, no reality in this. And to get there, you have to reject a lot of realities. You, you want to reject all government, and government does nothing well. Well, you're living a life that are the fruits of what government does really well. The gov what the government does really well is really big, really expensive things that have never been done before. Because the private industry does not do that. They can't afford to. They can't risk everything they have to do that. But that's how we got the pyramids. That's how we got the Great Wall of China. It's how we got the exploration of the Western Hemisphere. It's how we got the space program. It's how we got air travel. We got government investing a lot of money in something that's never been done before. Well, it's how we, you know, eradicated all the diseases in this country. You know, it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't one doctor somewhere sitting in an office and selling, you know, his his vaccine. It was a, a concerted effort uh, in our universities and at our institutions to push the push the envelope with what we could do in, in medical science. And that's why we have some of the best medical you know, advances in human history over the last 50 to 100 years. And it's better science. And it's, it's allowing science to be what it's supposed to be, which is inoculation against charlatans. Because the charlatan comes along and is like, I have here in my wagon the cure for what ails you. Just and I, I'm not going to tell you what's in it. I'm not going to tell you why I know it works because you're, you don't understand all these things. It's too complicated. Yes, for my great-grandfather was one of those people. So you have to be very... <laughs> but they're not going to tell you what to... You just take my word for it. Take my word for it. This is going to work for you. Whereas the scientist comes along and they do their research and they put all of their data out for, for review. And then somebody else comes along and takes that data and tries to replicate that experiment. And, okay, yeah, this data's good. This is, this is good. Okay, let's try it again. And, then, and we keep testing it, and we, then we determine, okay, yeah, this is how this works. But the guy with the snake oil isn't going to let you do that. He's not going to let you prove that his snake oil works or doesn't work because he's a charlatan. He's trying to control that information. Yeah. And he, he doesn't want it ever put up to anybody else to scrutinize. Now those people are politicians. Right. <laughs> politicians. 
Well, and, and that's the thing. When people, even in politics, when people are telling you, oh, take my word for it, buy my book, I'm telling you everything you need to know, they're, they're selling you snake oil. And, it, and they might have good stuff in there, but if, if we're saying that ideologically this is where you have to be and nobody else has anything good to offer, well, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Because even a broken watch is right twice a day, right? But wrong the rest of the time. <laughs> so why why don't we at least trust it when it's right? You know, can can somebody else have a good idea other than the libertarians? Is that fucking possible? Because the libertarians don't seem to think so. <laughs> I mean, many yeah, you're right. Many of the libertarians don't seem to think that other people have a good have a good idea, and yeah, here we are living in relatively the most safest most healthiest, most prosperous times in mankind's history. Right. With government all over the place. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we have to keep it in check, but at the same time, like, okay, do I really want seven different companies competing to run pipes to my house for my water? So there are there are aspects where, you know, collectivism is the only way to, to solve an issue, um, but that doesn't mean it's the answer to everything. And so can yeah. we look at each situation on its own basis with its own merits uh, unique problems that you need unique solutions right but i mean so the opposite of the pipes is wouldn't you want more than one option for cable internet well i mean options are great right so i i think that where the line typically gets drawn with people is the public good and the public necessity and I think ultimately the internet's probably going to become a public utility. I think a lot of places are already considering it a public utility. It's probably just right. like electricity. Humans don't need electricity to live. We we got along just fine for a long time before there was electricity. But electricity makes things real convenient for us. But now electricity is considered a public u- utility and a public necessity. Which was, was just for the rich before. Yeah. I was going to say, because it's become a necessity in today's society. Right, because well, you so can't that, exist without it now, and the internet is getting the that internet, way. Yeah, how, how is the internet not that way? Like, you know, I, I owned a restaurant, and so I you know, worked in the restaurant industry for a very long time for... A few Fortune, you know, 500 companies. You know, I worked for Marriott. I worked for Coca-Cola. You could not apply at any of those jobs now without access to the Internet. Now, you can go to the library, but I hear a lot of people, you know, advocating to close the libraries. So, I mean, you know, how would this... Uh, well, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I've, heard, I've heard many people say, well, do we need it anymore? It's, a, it's, you know, people don't even read books anymore. But where are people that can't afford Internet in their homes or their own computer going to go to put in an application when many, many companies are moving to only, you know, applying online. You can't go to Coca-Cola where I worked in Indianapolis and, and just go there and ask for an application and apply. They won't, they won't even let you to what, go online. What we're probably going to see happen is a soli- uh, kind of an amalgamation of the concept of libraries and mail and that be used to turn Internet into a public utility that is then provided to everybody. And we we basically have evolved both mail and the libraries in doing this with this technology. Because we used to deliver mail by horseback. Now we deliver it by planes and, and cars. And, you know, why wouldn't we advance the mail further with technology? Same with the libraries. You know, so that's what you're going to see is, is people kind of looking towards making that information available without you having to go to the library and making that mail service available, with it, but getting rid of the trucks and the planes... 
why don't we just cr provide the internet access then? The next thing you know, you have a socialized internet where, or a nationalized internet where the government has an internet that is provided to everybody. Right, but then you're going to have to face the fact that eventually somebody could say you can't say that on the internet. Oh, it happens now. Yeah. Right, but <laughs> through, through the private corporations, not the government. Is it, is it any different, though? I mean, it, I mean, it is different. Is the end result different? Is Possibly. It could end in jail. And I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for whether it's right or wrong or not saying that there's no problems, but... What, the kind of the point is you can't fight the future and this is where things go and as people continue to see these things and as technology advances this is how people are going to look at things and they're like well mail is totally inefficient we have people we're paying we're using taxpayer dollars for people to drive to every house in the country once a day to why are we doing to, this to <laughs> deliver shit we don't want yeah, yeah to deliver stuff we don't even need you just, so, you just so broke my pen didn't you it was <laughs> when was the last time you really got something in the mail that you really were waiting for needed and that that I didn't order myself yeah uh, with the exception of like wedding invitations not yeah yeah Nothing. So I mean, so it is kind of antiquated right. and outdated, and there's there are a lot of aspects of things like that in in the government that libertarians want to you know uh, dissolve, uh, but something like the the EPA that's that's one that's going to be a, a hard sell for like let's say a lot of environmentalists, whether they be Republicans or Democrats, because you know they're like the EPA makes sure that uh, companies don't uh, pollute. You know they're there to be the safeguard of of our resources. But then when you see a place like the Elk River uh, in, in uh, West Virginia that even with the EPA hadn't been inspected since 1993, uh, so obviously somebody at the EPA was getting paid off by this company to look the other way. So even the institutions that we've entrusted, and again, we put our thought process and our, and our diligence on cruise control in that area and said that we, we, we have these institutions, they should be doing that stuff for us. Who watches the people that are supposed to be watching over us? And especially when there's a revolving door between right. government and a lot of these institutions, we've lost our faith in them. So it's an even harder sell for, for libertarians who, 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 like us who, who believe in some government. Oh, well, crap. Like even our own fellow libertarians are like, well, all government's bad. It's a hard sell for us to say, well, we do need some government. And, and, and even more so to try to do outreach and, pe and bring people in that aren't libertarian. So the so the problem with the EPA is the same problem with the FDA, in my opinion. The EPA, with such as the Elk River, somebody got paid off and didn't inspect the Elk River for, since 1982. You said it was 93. 93. Yeah, whatever. Um, whenever it was a long, long ass time. So somebody probably got paid off to just not inspect it, and not let that happen. Now people are like, oh, if a private company were to be doing these inspections to make sure these things are happening. Somebody could just pay them off to make sure this, that they aren't doing it. Same thing with the FDA. Drugs get passed that shouldn't get passed because they aren't ready, and then they have to recall them. Uh, and the reason for that is because the FDA is the largest springboard into big pharma. 76% of people that work at the FDA end up in big pharma afterwards, and it's because they helped get their drugs passed. Mm -hmm. Quid pro quo. Right. It's the, it, it is in it is part of the cancer that it is big government that people are like, oh, well, I can use this to get a job in the private industry if I help these people out now. Which is why private watchdogs are going to be better than governmental watchdogs. But I also don't want to, with broad strokes, get rid of the FDA because I also like not having rancid meat and 
you know, that the drugs that we're buying actually can and do work and aren't just poison, you know, and that there's some form of accountability and authority to turn to if these things do go bad. So, and, and this is one and of those things. Wouldn't that be the court system? Though? Well, this is what. But can you, as an individual, fight their attorney? We can't, as an individual, always have this hyper vigilance where we're doing this ultra research into every product we buy, like what the libertarian utopia would be. They're like, well, you just need to do your due diligence as a consumer and got me out of the door. But, well, we don't have that kind of fucking time, man. I got shit to do. And I can't be researching every little thing I buy. You know, if I want to go get a soda, I want to know that it's not mercury mixed with like lithium and like I'm good to go and not and then I don't have to just oh sorry we put the mercury in yours you can sue us ha 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 no fuck you dude no we de- I, I don't put the mercury in there it, it, like ha- we need to have this authority in place and these people to turn to and if they fuck it up then we can do something about it we have laws in place and, and a way to turn you know but we don't need them overseeing everything to the point where you can't actually put a drug out on the market that can cure people without paying off the government. You know, that is probably where we're going too far, and that's why I say we've got to balance it out. Where does our reach exceed our grasp, and where do we need to be grasping? Because we do need to have consumer protections. I like the idea of people not being allowed to sell rotten meat and and drugs that don't cure what they say they cure and are actually going to make your problems worse. Right. So I like that. Well, and I understand so, where he's coming from, too. And he's like, well, isn't that what the court system is for? In an in a, in a equal world, that would be great. But it's like mm-hmm. the money money is what is heard in the courtroom instead of, like, a sound argument. And so, you know, can you as an individual ever be able to beat the attorneys that they keep on staff 24-7 to beat those things? Otherwise, you know, right now there'd be millions of veterans in this in this country that were exposed to Agent Orange that would actually be taking, being taken care of instead of what we have now, the government looking the other way, knowing that Monsanto made this stuff and knowing that they used it, and both parties saying, well, I won't say shit if you don't say shit, and they can deny that this stuff ever happened. Yeah. I want a separation of, you know, government and big business. Can we yeah, do that? that's can what we, we need. Right. That's what Thomas Jefferson wanted, and... You know, he was such an obstinate dick about the whole thing in the end at the Constitutional Convention and didn't show up. Well, I mean, the Federalists, <laughs> it seemed like the Federalists eventually won. Well, they? yeah, because Thomas Jefferson didn't show up and couldn't argue his case, and he left it to James Madison, who wasn't nearly as good as Jefferson was, and he didn't know all the, the nuances of what he was trying to argue for, especially in the 11th Amendment when he was trying to create the, the controls on corporations. Because Jefferson and the people on his ideological side understood that it was the crown, the church, and the corporation that they were fighting against here that was part of the problem. And they had the separation of church, church and state. And, and this whole government is designed to abolish the crown. But he was arguing that we also needed the protection from the corporations. And that's what his ideal 11th Amendment was, and that's what he was pushing for. But he didn't show up to the Constitutional Convention to argue that and left it to James Madison, who wasn't his gung-ho about this issue and wasn't as familiar with it and couldn't argue with the way Jefferson was. So it totally failed. Alexander Hamilton just made it easy. The state should take care of this. We don't need to put this in the federal constitution. States can take care of this. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. And so then that just totally freaking died. But we totally needed it from the beginning and there were people who recognized it, but it just didn't happen. So if it would have happened the way it was supposed to go down, would Teddy Roosevelt even have had something to, to rail against with the monopoly 
the system well, the way that it was, you know. Possibly, because who knows how it would have changed from then. But yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the thing is, is like the one constant is the human element, because it doesn't matter if it's a a boot from the government that's stepping on your throat or a boot from Monsanto that you as a little farmer have on your throat. Right. You know, it's like in the end, like you were saying, in the end, it's the same thing. Like I'm already being told I can't say anything that I want to say. I mean, mm-hmm. ask Papa John if you can say anything you want to say, even if it's like, you know, you're retelling somebody else's completely, statement. Yeah, a completely out of context right. story, and then you get fired for saying a word. Right. So, mm-hmm. so you don't really have free speech in this country anymore. You have... Uh, uh, free speech to a certain point, and then at that point, I mean, but no you, one you has have free consequence free speech. That's what you're talking about is consequence free speech. Right? You just have no free speech. You, you just have free speech. You just have free speech against the government throwing you in jail for what you say. Yeah. You don't have free speech. Like if I say that, oh God. <laughs> if I say your mother's a whore, I would probably get beat down because both of you are much larger than me. <laughs> I got worried even saying. I'm going to try to come up with an example. That's the one I normally go with. And then I was like, man, these two are so much bigger than me. This they're is brothers. And they're so brothers. I'm talking about the same mom. <laughs> oh, like, I'm going to have zero protection here. Luckily, I'm closest to the door. Right. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're in your house. So, you know, it's like, I, don't, I don't know. You might have weapons in every room like I do. So, uh, so like. You don't have, you, there is no consequence for your speech. If I say your mother's a whore and you beat the crap out of me, I kind of deserve it. Mm-hmm. And I think that any court should say that. On the, on the other side, if I say you know, your mother's a whore, I shouldn't be thrown in jail. Right. And that is where the, like... And Papa John ain't sitting in jail. And right. he is not sitting in jail. And he no. resigned. He actually made like thirty million dollars the next day on right. stock options. And now he's up. trying to get his job. Yeah, so I don't I don't think that saying Papa John, you know, losing his job and getting you know forced out by social outrage is an example of non free speech. No, he said exactly what he wanted to say and the government didn't do anything about it. Right. But if you don't if you are not aware of the social climate, you know, it's kinda like this thing with Ron DeSantis here. The the day after he wins his primary, and he he's said, facing "Don't monkey off, it up." He's facing off against a, a black candidate, and he says, "Let's not monkey this up by electing a socialist." Well, I'm sorry. The one thing that a politician has to be is careful with his words, and you that can't is, say that. Like, yeah. even though I I knew what he was saying when he said it, because that has been a phrase in my family for since uh-huh. I was born. I know that means don't screw it up. Yeah, I know that. But when your when your opponent is a black guy, you cannot use that term. Your opponent when, might even know that. When but you're he's looking for against, a way to win, so yeah. <laughs> when you're running against a black guy, remove all monkey euphemisms from your vernacular. Right. Just pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> remove the monkey euphemisms. He, he should learn that. He should learn that from Roseanne, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's plenty of examples, and, and that's the thing. It's not like you're unaware of this like, hypersensitive environment. Like and, Imus in the morning said something about nappy-headed hoes or something, and lost his job. And that was like what back in that was back in the nineties, yeah. two thousand. That was on back the, when that, that was, was like on, in song lyrics. That was uh, about the women's UConn basketball team, I think. Yeah, yeah. I want to say you're right. Yeah. So if you have, and then he. Said, well, it's like, since when can't we call them nappy-headed hoes, though? Because everybody calls them nappy-headed hoes. I will hoes. say that when Don Imus said, when Don Imus listened to the Lauryn Hill album and he said, now I understand why they drag them behind trucks, I was like, that's going too far, Don. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that one's going a bit too far. And, yeah. 
and you know it's 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 the same kind of I think caliber a guy that we have in in office right now. Like, do I do I honestly think he would take action on the way that he feels towards minorities? Probably not. But do I feel that in his heart of hearts, he's like same kind of guy like that we would laugh at on TV when I grew up, like Archie Bunker type. I mean, my own grandpa, when I would talk to him growing up, you know, first thing he would say on the phone is, uh, are you dating a black girl? And I would tell him yes, just to piss him off. Because, you know, I grew up in a, a, a post, you know, civil rights America where we went to the same schools, lived in the same neighborhoods. And I actually was called wannabe by my white friends growing up because I actually liked their music better. Um, you know, I got more attention from girls dancing to their music than listening to Glenn Campbell. So to me, it was an easy, easy choice to make, you know, but uh, yeah, I am I, now realizing I don't know how old you are if you referenced Glenn Campbell. Well, uh, yeah, I'm in my 40s. And I'm old enough <laughs> to have a pacemaker. Let's put it that way. Jeez. But uh, no, I just I really feel like in so many ways, especially our generation, you know, the, the I don't even know what generation I am anymore. I think my generation X, I can't I can't. Remember. I, it changes so often. Yeah. I have no idea what generation but, uh, I am. Yeah, I, I just I really feel like our generation was like the last generation that kind of grew up where. You know, we got along more racially. I feel like now we're we're more at each other at odds more, and uh, we don't understand each other because it's like people don't slow down enough to understand. They've already made up their mind the minute that they know that you're not on their team. If you don't have an R or a D behind your name, right? Then I then there's nothing that can come out of your mouth that I'm going to agree with, and that's just not the reality. I mean, I've got. So, I mean, sometimes I don't even feel white. And my and my and my my African American friends, even their parents, are like, "Does that guy know he's white?" Like sometimes when they just see the way that I am and my mannerisms, and I go to you know when I go to churches, it's usually inner city, charismatic churches that you know people are passionate about their faith, and they're the kinds of people that I see putting it to action. They're not the ones from evangelical churches that are holding flags or, or signs that say God hates fags. You know, those are the Christians, those, those are the people that are giving Christians a bad name that aren't true Christians. And so when I think back to politics and the Libertarian Party and kind of the crisis that, I mean, all three of the parties are in crisis right now about their identity. and Our country's in crisis. That's what the problem is. But the thing is, it's like... But I think that stems from the three parties being in crisis and fighting each other over identity politics. Ooh. I think that gets pushed so often by the parties... I think that's that's not necessarily getting us anywhere, but I don't. I I think that that's the seed that kind of grew everything. Mm, I think that the I think that the identity politics have gotten just started spreading so quickly and getting got to a point where that was all the media would talk about because media loves it when they can induce fear and rage in people because more clicks. Yeah, if it bleeds, it leads, you right. know, and and people will read some something that makes them outraged quicker than something that you know makes them inspired, and I think the the media uses it as a tool to keep us distracted and keep us interested in what they want us interested in. So we're not talking about the things that really need to be changed, right? Because if we're sitting there talking about all the ways in which the drug war is failing. And how the CIA is bringing in cocaine and heroin because these black street gangs that you're pinning it all on that you want to say is the are the big problems they don't have any way to get the heroin from Afghanistan and the cocaine from Colombia and they're not manufacturing <laughs> the guns and, and they're not manufacturing the guns and they're not doing any of this so you're not talking about the real problems anyway when you're talking about inner city crime and and the drug war and all this, and making it all about the street gangs and MS-13 and blah, 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 blah. You're not being realistic or honest about it anyway. 
And so they want to keep us distracted from ever catching on to what's really going on. And be like, why is the CIA bringing all these drugs in and then we're arresting everybody else for it? Not holding them accountable? You know, Air America is a really funny movie and I'm not going to think about it too much because holy shit, the CIA is selling drugs. And... Is that Mel Gibson? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.'s greatest roles, by the way. Uh, awesome. I was like, you, you said that, and everything after that went away, because I was like, wait, what movie is that? <laughs> no, Air America was an actual real program where the CIA was selling guns and drugs to, to rogue militias to, to fund their operations. That's and, uh, American Made with Tom Cruise. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Hollywood makes these movies about it, and we're like, oh, that's such a great movie. Oh, man, that's kind of messed up, too. But wow, that was such a great movie. And no, dude, it's real. This is what's really that's going what really on. That's what's really going on. Yeah, that, that is what really happened. How do you think the cocaine is getting here? I, I mean, especially post 9 11. Like, seriously, we have all of this security at the ports and at the borders and in the airports and all of this security, right? Yet all the cocaine is still getting through, all the heroin is getting through. I'm not talking about the weed from Mexico talking about the heroin that we've got photographs of u.s soldiers guarding poppy fields and then all of a sudden that heroin ends up in the united states <gasps> oh my god who's doing it it must be the black people no it is the freaking government it is the cia with the u.s military complicit in the whole thing and if we're not going to talk about that that problem doesn't go away if we're okay with that and we're not going to talk about it, nothing changes. Right. And the only way that changes I mean, is as if we're aware and we talk about it. So the last thing the media is going to do is talk about that at all. I mean, as a personal fan of recreational drugs, <laughs> I'm okay with it. Bring them in. But legalize them. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, grow it here. I don't care. Yeah. Well, the, well, the poppies won't grow here. but Yeah, they will. It, no, they won't. Yeah, they will. Really? Mm -hmm. Where are you, you going to grow them? There, there are people who grow them here, here in Florida. I know you're not naming any names. I'm not naming any names. <laughs> I'm not naming any names. I just had a conversation about this with a friend of mine the other day, though. So Florida could, Florida could feasibly, uh, could could feasibly uh, supply the heroin well, I mean, needs there's for. A, there's a certain amount of that you're still going to need for legitimate pain. No, hundred percent. In the, in the no, medical right. setting. Um, you know, and I wouldn't have a problem with people using emotional using pain those. is legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> this is my emotional support now. <laughs> but do we? I mean, and this is, you know, I, I I live in a state where we debate, you know, legalization of marijuana uh, ad nauseum because we just now got Sunday cells in Indiana of, of alcohol. Oh wow! And, you know, and we still don't have cold cell of beer in the grocery store or the gas stations. So you know, it's like the pin of the Bible Belt. Oh yeah, I tell people. I used to tell people. I, I, okay, I I have to be real honest. This is the first time I've ever heard the term "cold sale," and I knew what it meant immediately. But yeah. I have never heard that term before. There are places that you can't buy beer out of a fridge. Yeah. Wow. Well, in Indiana, I don't. Right. Know, I don't think there's that many other states. I think Utah is. Another I mean, that's a place. I think Utah will not. Uh, Utah will not uh, mix a drink in front of you. Like if you're getting a mixed drink, they, it has to be some kind of partition, so the bartender has yeah. to be mixing that drink away from you. So, so we can drop the roofie without you knowing. Right. Does Indiana do that? Country, so, uh, no, Indiana doesn't do that. I'm just saying that there are other states right, that are like uh, okay. Uh, so I went to I went to a casino in Indiana when I was living in Tennessee. Like we drove up to some casino in Indiana. I don't remember which one, and. We asked for uh, Jack and Cokes, and they wouldn't give them to us. So 
we all just drank Jack because right. we weren't going to pay the extra money for we the just coat. don't like you. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just, that's fair. <laughs> I'm kidding. Indiana, Indiana's <laughs> full of a lot of great people, but we're pretty backwards with our laws. And, and man, should Trump should, should uh, Trump you know not want to run for re-election or whatever? And, and Pence is right there and waiting in the wings. He he's a guy who said you could pray the gay away. Yeah. yeah. So if you were gay, you could you could you know your parents and right. everybody could come and do an intervention and and maybe lay their hands on you and. Pray this gay we're demon gonna out of you. We're going to the gay out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Catholic like, Church has been doing that for years. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I just, I really feel like there's a lot of competing issues, like you said, that keep people distracted. Mm-hmm. So we never really get to the real areas of agreement where, where we would agree. Because I really feel like, you know, like I said, I worked in the restaurant industry for a good number of years. And I've never worked around a harder uh, work ethic group of people who had family values than the Hispanic community, but mm-hmm. here we are. We're you know we we have this again in our nation a, a crisis and in our political parties a crisis about what to do with with immigration and you know the very people that uh, are fighting against immigration at at a federal level and in the you know the talking heads in government are the ones who keep getting caught again and again hiring illegal immigrants to be the servants in their house. Mm-hmm. So what is it that they're actually advocating for? Are they really advocating because they care and they want these people to come over and have a better life or is that they're going to have cheaper labor? And even you know our congressional candidate uh, in Indiana uh, has been caught shipping jobs from his company uh, overseas to Mexico. And here he's going to try to make a case that he is like a blue dog Democrat and like a lot of you know, Republicans are going to be able to to depend on him and send him, and he's not going to be a, a yes man for Trump. But at the same time, he's going to stand for the values that Indiana stands for. Um, you know, what kind of values does Indiana stand for when you when you've actually you know elected somebody governor who says you can pray the gay away? Uh, we I think we have a crisis going on not only uh, within ourselves and in our in our country, but so how with that backdrop and with those struggles and with a party that you know pushes people that are very pragmatic or who just want to ask questions for the sake of discussion so we can hash these things out, what does the Libertarian Party do to quit losing, you know, to quit, stop the bleeding of people like us that are leaving the party disenfranchised while at the same time still, you know, reaching out to communities that historically have been marginalized by government? These are the very people who should be taking Libertarian philosophies and running with it and growing the party faster than we've seen growth in the past 30, 40 years. Well, I mean... As candidates, the the libertarian candidates need to first start with being involved in their community long before they run for office. They need to be out there providing leadership in their community to the people that they eventually want to elect them. They need to be out there volunteering with their church, building houses for Habitat for Humanity. I don't care what it is, whatever floats your boat, however you want to get involved in your... Yeah, deliver meals to elderly people with Meals on Wheels. You know, whatever it is. However you want to get involved in your community. Don't do something you're not passionate about. You're not going to care. Do what you're passionate about. Do you like helping... The homeless people. Do you want to help elderly people? Do you want to help sick people? You know, do you want to, however you want to do it, there are plenty of opportunities to get involved and provide leadership and service in your community. Get out there and do it. Talk to those people. 
build relationships, become a known part of your community. Because the Democrats and the Republicans who are running for office are doing this. They have a long resume of their community service and what they have been doing. And that's why they have all these organizations that support them and have all these people that are ready to vote for them. Because this dude helped build this person's house with Habitat for Humanity. And he's been out feeding the homeless with his church and whatever else he's been doing. And if you have sat at your computer bitching about government for the last eight years and you're like, now I'm going to go out and run for office and tell everybody why we got to get rid of the government and they're going to vote for me, yet nobody in your city knows who you are because you've never done anything to serve anybody in that city ever, you're not going to get elected. Which, so you, which is why, like, here in Florida, we have two of the greatest libertarians in office, possibly countrywide. And that's exactly what they did. What? It's, I don't know about this. Yeah, we uh, Martin Sullivan and Jared Griffoni. Yep, thank you for knowing Jared's last name because I was like Jared and Elsa. My- <laughs> have these have these, uh, have these individuals gone on any kind of like uh, I'm not saying that you know rock and like they're rock stars or anything, but have they gone on tours to other libertarian uh, you know in, in parties? They've done in, some things, but they're the actually state. elected officials. Elected officials who are engaged in their city and doing what they're supposed to do. Have a job and, to do. And the biggest problem that the LPF has, in my my personal opinion, one of the biggest problems that they have is they have these two great people who are in office. They've got Martin and they got Jared. And they don't push it and they don't say, look at what these people are doing or look at how they got there. They don't push that at all. They instead say, who wants to run? We just need people to run. Because uh, they wanted the LP National wanted 2,000 people to be running for office in this election cycle, and I think they got 950. And they were happy that they almost got half. And I bet not a one of them is a worthwhile candidate. I mean, oh, you may get far, but I mean, you may get a couple of Jareds and Martins, and yeah, I mean, there might be throughout the entire country. Uh, so you're going to get a sum, but you need to push the Martins and the Jareds and be like, look at how these people did this. Look at it. Like, look at their model. Look at what they've done for their community before they even ran. Well, you've probably that, heard of Mark Rutherford. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, I know yeah, Mark. Yeah, so, I don't know Mark, so, but so, I know, I'm well, friends running, with him on well, Facebook. Yeah, I mean, he's well, he's he's a, a shining example of what I was talking about a while ago of, of, of some of the, the older guard libertarians that aren't like the big L libertarians who have really paved the way and who have served uh, younger libertarians. Like he, he holds like candidate training forums all the time. And he's an attorney that was appointed to sit on the dis- or disciplinary commission or the, no, the public defender commission uh, for the state of Indiana. So where would we, where, where more would you really want a libertarian than making sure that the, de- the you know, defendants get their constitutional rights heard and that, you know, he's, he's, putting forth these values out there in an everyday way he's just living the principles he's just being an everyday attorney who his peers recognize that separate from any kind of philosophy he's trying to preach about they saw the results that he got as a professional and felt like he was somebody that would represent them well on that board and so those are the kind of things like these these two guys i mean yeah they've they're busy (laughs) they've got a job to do that they've Mm -hmm. been elected to do Uh, but at the same time like why is the party in the counties that they come from not doing a better job of telling like libertarians in other you know states uh, hey talk about these guys in your next meeting because when we when we get discouraged when we start to you know consider in my case like leaving the party or when we already have when we start to get discouraged like these are the conversations that we need to be having like what kind of successes have libertarians have in the past other than just having a you know circle jerk online what have libertarians actually done that also helps advance the message when people are like oh 
they did just come as an outsider, but they lived their life passionate about what they were as an everyday citizen and, you know, learned more about libertarianism, learned more about the Constitution and got results and eventually got elected. These are the stories that we should be telling each other instead of using that time to argue about philosophies that may never like the like abortion abortion is never going away well it's you know, because why are you going to ever sit around and waste time arguing about something that's never going to change it's because, well it's because these results are dressed in hard work and they don't want to work hard that's my opinion yeah <laughs> i was gonna say the the abortion thing the reason it gets argued is because every every time that trump gets a new uh court pick the Democrats say, oh, this guy's just going to get rid of abortion, which abortion is not going away. Roe versus Wade mm-hmm. is never going to get overturned. It's not worth fighting about. But uh, let's break this up into two. <laughs> Since we're, Are we having that much fun? I mean, we're, we're, we're already over on time for what my show normally is by quite a bit. <laughs> we'll break this up into two. Uh, cigarette breaks, re-up on drinks. Okay. And then we'll just re- uh, continue... The conversation from there. Well, all so, right. Is that work for everybody? After right, these so, messages. Right. So, uh, well, this is going to be a two-parter, so you'll get to see more of this. Um, so, yeah. Thank you all so much. Tune into the next episode. And uh, remember to... I didn't do the intro on this one, so uh, just watch the next episode, and I'll do the outro then. All right. Thank you all. Bye. I... I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's a stunning the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drive. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on savory waters of my liver turns blue.